Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now you've found it. This is Alan Smith's Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world, with your hosts, Alan and Donna Smith, focusing on driver health, careers, regulations, and the important issues facing the industry. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Ask the Trucker Live begins right now. I'm Alan Smith along with Donna Smith. Today is Saturday, June 27, 2015, and this evening we're going to share one of those uh, many controversial trucking issues that have been coming from uh, the FMCSA and recently even uh, Congress and elected officials. I mean, as many of us know, many of the uh, issues of the past and really current and future have been opposed by uh, truckers such as ELD, speed limiters. Uh, heavier weight for trucks on the highways, increasing the amount of liability insurance required to be held by the motor carriers, uh, sleep apnea testing, and it just goes on and on. Of course, there's always the hours of service, which is constantly being debated by drivers, including strong support for the continuation of the uh, current suspension of the uh, current hours of service. But this evening, our show is a little bit different tonight. We'll discuss a uh, possible victory for many, both professional drivers and those looking to enter into the industry. We're we're going to be discussing about the about those who uh, are insulin dependent diabetics who presently are not permitted to drive without an exemption from the uh, FMCSA, and many drivers who uh, do wish to enter the industry are discouraged to do so as the complicated uh, exemption form acts as a deterrent for many. And uh, so what's the possible victory? And in most of these cases, obviously, there's always pros and cons. We're going to get into those as well. But on May 4th, in the Federal Register, the FMCSA published a a new proposed rule amending insulin-treated driver qualification standards. The FMCSA uh, posted a notice of proposed rulemaking uh, proposing to do away with the diabetes exemption program. And as we mentioned There's many drivers who feel this is a long overdue rule. However, others uh, are concerned that the rule, or at least the way it is written, would uh, compromise the safety of the driver and the highway. So I'll uh, I'll just read the summary of the FMCSA's new proposed rule amending insulin treated driver qualification standards and again published May 4th in the Federal Register. And by the way, uh, if you want to make a comment, uh, through their commenting process, you only have until July 6th to do so. But the uh, proposed rule, Qualifications of Drivers Diabetes Standard Summary, this is what it says. FMCSA proposes to permit drivers with stable, well-controlled insulin-treated diabetes mellitus to be qualified to operate commercial motor vehicles in interstate commerce. Currently, Drivers with ITDM are prohibited from driving commercial motor vehicles in interstate commerce unless they obtain an exemption from FMCSA. 
this new proposed rule would enable individuals with this type of diabetes to obtain a medical examiner certificate from a medical examiner at least annually in order to operate in interstate commerce if the treating clinician, boy, that threw me off, who is the healthcare professional responsible for, for, for prescribing insulin for the driver's diabetes provides a documentation to the medical examiner that the condition is stable and well controlled. So what does that all mean? Well, with us we have uh, Dr. Randolph Rosarian uh, of the Sands Point Medical Rehab. He is a certified medical examiner listed in the U.S. DOT FMCSA National Registry of Certified Medical Examiners. He received his medical degree from Stony Brook University School of Medicine. His medical practice, USD medical, USDOT Medical Examiner, is located in College Point, Queens, New York, and he specializes in physical medicine, rehabilitation, and occupational medicine. And as a, as a recognized leader in the field, he received the Best of Queens Award 2013 for Department of Transportation Commercial Driver License Medical Examinations. And Dr. Rosarian is a board-certified physician in physical medicine and rehabilitation, board-certified American Board of Pain Medicine, certified National Registry of Certified Medical Examiners, certified medical review officer, and he is a DOT medical advisor for North American Trucking Alerts website. And you can find him on, on the, the website via usdotmedicalexaminer.com. And also with us again is Elaine Papp, and uh, Elaine has a broad range of occupational safety and health experience from private industry to international organizations. She is a board-certified occupational health nurse with, with um, experience working for regulatory agencies. And Ms. Papp is now offering her knowledge and experience in occupational and transportation health through her newly founded company, Health and Safety Works, LLC, and prior to establishing her company, Elaine spent seven years as the uh, Division Chief of the Office of Medical Programs at the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration in Washington, D.C., where she gained extensive knowledge about the relationship between medical conditions, their impact on safe operation of commercial motor vehicles, and the FMCSA regulations and guidance. And Elaine was responsible for the establishment of the FMCSA's National Registry of Certified Medical Examiners, including the training and testing components and compliance assistance materials. And she also led the agency's effort to create the hearing and seizure exemption programs. And Elaine, she also oversaw the research of various medical conditions and their relationship to safe operation of a CMV developed the medical examiner's handbook as well as various outreach and training materials for medical examiners, drivers, and motor carriers. And prior to FMCSA, Elaine worked for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, there's a name we all know, in several capacities, analyzing legislation, writing congressional testimony, regulations and compliance assistance materials, participating in on-site enforcement inspections, and conducting presentations on behalf of the agency. And also, while at OSHA, Elaine was selected for the Executive Leadership Program and spent a few months in Geneva, Switzerland, working with the World Health Organization and the International Council of Nursing as part of the ELP Development Program. Uh, she also uh, authored the International Council of Nursing's, or the uh, 
yeah, the International Council of Guide to Healthcare Waste Management for Nurses. And she is also an advisor for NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com. So our guests are very have very much expertise in the field. Again, Dr. Rosarian website, USDOTMedicalExaminer.com. Elaine Papp, her website you can find via healthandsafetyworks.net. So, uh, Donna, big show, a very big. important topic, so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, me too, and uh, I'd say we have the A-team on our show tonight. Uh, definitely. <laughs> uh, definitely, just getting through their uh, a little bit of their background takes half of the show. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, hey, great show. When we get back, uh, when we come back, Dr. Rosera and Elaine Papp will join us, and we will talk about this uh, very important topic. So uh, hang with us, and it's all coming up on uh, Ask the Trucker Live. You're listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Alan and Donna will be right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment, and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. This is Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at askthetrucker.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back and welcome to those on the line. See the lines filling up. I didn't get everybody down there, but I, welcome to Illinois, Texas, and uh, really that's all I've got. There you go, 303-417. Everybody on the line, appreciate it, and uh, Elaine Papp and Dr. Randolph Rosarian with us. Elaine, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Glad to have you here, and uh, Dr. Rosarian, good to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Alan, for having us again. Hi, guys. It's me. Hi, Donna. <laughs> Hi, Donna. Hi. Well, I tell you, listen, before we get to discussing this actual proposed rule itself, uh, Doctor, let me start with you. I know your uh, your time's limited with us a little bit this evening. You have somewhere else you need to be. But let's, uh, let's uh, you know, we, we, we know that more and more drivers are coming down with diabetes, and many of them, you know, controlled by diet and or pills. But uh, we're seeing a lot more heading for this insulin treatment and everything. So before we get on this proposed rule and everything, can you – can you just explain just a little bit the, the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Uh, sure. I'd love to, uh, Alan. Um, um, but I don't want to go 
too far uh, you know, uh, from the topic of uh, that we at hand tonight. Uh, um, but I like the way you eloquently phrased the introduction and everything, and this is why we're here today concerning you know, the notice of proposed rule. And uh, I will get to type one and type two, but I just want to make a statement right off the bat about what, what this is all about and why we're here. Um, I have no problem, uh, and I think a lot of us don't have concern about whether this is down to an exemption program or through the treating clinician or the, uh, with the medical examiner, but there are certain things. I have like basically three questions that I have if the notice of proposal does go through, and I just want to get that off on the table. So if it does go through, I, I like to know how does the medical examiner know that the treating clinician properly evaluated the driver, and if the driver is okay by that treating uh, clinician, uh, how do we know the driver remains compliant and follows the, the proper medical regimen to make sure that they're safe to drive while they're on insulin? And lastly, uh, which is the main issue with the rule, is that uh, because we don't have specific guidelines from the MCSA per se as, as to what the medical examiner needs to obtain and get from the driver as we have in the current exemption, uh, are we to rely on our own medical expertise and judgment in determining whether or not the, the driver had been properly evaluated and maintains proper, uh, uh, I guess, uh, acceptance and, and is following the regimen uh, or the prerequisites uh, to drive safely on insulin. So that's basically what I have on the table. I don't want people to think that I'm against uh, the rule. I am not. I'm just worried, just as you said, about A, driver safety, and B, public safety. So right, I don't want to. I, I I don't know if you guys want to throw anything in there before I go into type one and type two. But because my time was limited, that's basically my point of view. I want to get that off on the table from the start. Right, and and that that's kind of like in the in the show details. Um, okay. Basically, um, one of the things it says is uh, FMCSA's NPRM includes a required annual medical examination with verification from the driver's treating clinician about the management of the driver's uh, management of his or her diabetes. But the big question you brought up is how does the driver prove to the ME, the medical examiner, that his or her diabetes is under control? What data is required by the driver's uh, treating clinician? So that's pretty much, you know, I mean, sort of what you're saying it's it's like they come in there and it's up to you to make a decision according to this very vague rule which I'm sure is going to have to be um improved but what do they go in saying uh okay the the driver's being treated of course I'm I'm you know making it simple here like a, like a little note from his clinician everything's great he's stable um, and then you're supposed to believe that or without any kind of data or logs. And I think that's what was uh, concerning you. Am I correct? That's absolutely correct, Anna. And um, I think that's the concern a lot of people in the medical community have. And uh, it's not us against drivers. It's not FMCSA really against us or the drivers. But I, the feeling I, I get is that some may feel that, okay, this is long overdue and this is like a free pass for us. We don't have to put up with all these rules anymore that are too constraining and 
ineffective, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and I see that as a danger because uh, I, I fear that drivers will take less care of themselves, and and not only will they 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 live unhealthier lives, but uh, because they uh, that happens, the, in turn the public itself would be uh, less safe. I believe, you know. So I don't want them to think, okay, if this is pa- if this rule passes. Yeah, I'm home free. I'm free to go. I don't have to worry about this anymore. And and that's the worry I have. You know, insulin-treated in right. diabetes is serious. It's a serious medical condition. Uh, people die from it all the time. And uh, I know when we talked earlier, you, me, and Elaine, I was a little. I would be remiss if I didn't mention. And I, I'm sure a lot of us have the same, maybe experience. I've had friends who were on insulin that have passed away because they didn't manage it properly. And uh, one happened to pass away couple of months ago and it's a serious condition and and it's something that should be very concerning to the driver it's not just about getting a dot medical card and passing your exam it's really about your life and how long do you want to be around for your family as well and, and that's exactly one of the questions um alan has down here um Let's see, question, if if the rules pass, do you feel that by removing the exemption process that many type 2 diabetics who are not on insulin yet and and they're just taking pills, they begin to be less attentive because now they're not worried anymore about going through the red tape of an exemption? And that's pretty much what you just said. Like people may become more relaxed, and the, the problem with that is they're they're hurting themselves. In other words, Correct. you shouldn't you shouldn't have to fear an exemption policy to take care of your health. Um, but unfortunately, that's part of humanity. Unless there's a um, repercussion, or you know something, uh, what would you call it? Something bad's going to happen if you don't do this. Then people don't do it. Never taking their own life as the thing that could be the bad thing. That could happen. It, it's amazing how, how that works, but it does. So that's, that's exactly what you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I agree. And and Alan, sorry for going on that tangent a little bit. But to get back to type one and type two briefly, uh, most and diabetes is type two, as we know. Uh, it's uh, due to insulin resistance. A lot of it has to do with the weight gain. Uh, associated, associated with the metabolic syndrome, the hypertension, the central uh, uh, fat in, around the organs, the belly, et cetera. Uh, only maybe about 5% is type 1, and type 1 used to be called juvenile diabetes where you have a kind of autoimmune uh, type of reaction where the pancreas uh, basically attacks itself and you lose certain cells that make insulin, so they don't produce insulin at all. Uh, unfortunately, the type 2s, if they don't take care of themselves, like Donna was saying, can, uh, with enough res- insulin resistance building up, the cells not absorbing the glucose, they cannot use it for energy, they can burn out their pancreas and eventually need insulin. And so that's the problem that we're facing in this country where about 33% of people are obese and they have some sort of metabolic syndrome going on. Right. We and we you know it's funny we talk a lot about that in the health shows on Thursday nights and of course you know there there's a lot of other contributing factors too. I mean just um uh, the foods we eat, you know, I think t- 
tend to contribute a lot to this huge incline all of a sudden. And then the amount of food we eat and the wrong types of food we eat. So, But bottom line is, whatever the reason of the to the incline, it, it's happening. And uh, people aren't taking it serious. Uh, and I, I don't understand why. Uh, I, I, do they not understand the repercussions? I mean, you talk to them. When you talk to people and you tell them, you know, what what kind of response do you get? You know, it's not just diabetes. It's a lot of probably most chronic medical condition. Um, there's a sense, I, I guess, of disbelief or there's a sense of procrastinating or really not seeing the problem until it hits you in the face. Um, right. Diabetes has a lot of short-term effects. You know, in terms of it affects both small vessels, large vessels. It has chronic, short-term effects. And by the time all the we haven't gotten to the long-term effects, such as neuropathy, retinopathy, all that stuff sets in, it's pretty much too late. Um, I think mm-hmm. people, people just are. Uh, I would. I don't want to say they don't care. It's just. You know, your car, you, unless you're a car person, you can drive it, drive it around until something happens and breaks down. There are a lot of people that way. As long as it's running fine, <laughs> everything is fine. Until right. everything breaks down and it's too late, it's when they really come in and say, well, fix me. Well, it's not so easy to fix you 15, 20 years down the line when it, it would have been a lot easier if you did it from the beginning. And it's a sense of people feel invincible, I guess, in a way. Um you know, and it's it's not because they don't know. I, there's a lot of information out there. I mean, Doctor Google, so to quote unquote, is more busy than any doctor on this planet. You can ask most of your patients come prepared. They have all this information already, and it's just a it's human nature, I think. And you know, if I think you know, if someone is in the right setting in the family, the, even with their spouse and I, I mean, I have people come in that, that smoke two packs a day. They have diabetes, and they have all sorts of complications from it. And they they want me to cure their erectile dysfunction, for example. <laughs> it's not going to yeah. happen, you know. Um, so I find that with men, it's sometimes more difficult than women. And I don't want to go into any kind of make sound like any kind of sexist rabbi. I just think women are just yeah. more <laughs> in touch with with themselves. And mm-hmm. they they and studies have shown they seek medical help more often than men for all those different conditions. When a guy comes with his wife, I, I know I have, a, I have a much better chance of getting to him than if he came by himself. You know, right? It's just the fact of life, as you said. You know. Yeah, and that and you know I'm glad I'm glad you did bring that up because um, I think you're right. I think women are more in tune um, for whatever reason. I don't know, but they just you know care more and they care not only about themselves but like you said about their spouses too cuz you'd never or not never but you wouldn't see husbands going with wives to an appointment but you'll see women wives going with their husbands and Absolutely. Uh, yeah so that's a, that's a good point you brought up but well let me ask you uh from what I understand doctor you were you were not notified directly by the FMCSA to this new proposed rule so, so how did you find out about it? Well, just like everyone else, uh, it's it's a public notice, and I 
happened to browse regulations.gov every now and then, believe it or not, and it popped up. And I called Elaine immediately. And where is Elaine? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, it's it's just amazing that the FMCSA um, would propose a new rule, which it clearly makes the decision process the responsibility of the medical examiner instead of the FMCSA, and then not notify the medical examiners in advance that they're having this rule. Um, I. I you know, I I just find that hard. It makes hard me to... wonder how many medical examiners on the national registry even know about it. Exactly. Um, and the comment session ends July sixth, right? Right. So right. something like that maybe kind of slip slip under there or something, but uh, I don't know. Hey, let me grab a caller. He's kind of they've been here kind of the very beginning. Let's grab him on here. Uh, Pull them up here, uh, Illinois, area code 630. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the show. Caller from Illinois, area code 630. All right, put them back on hold. So, uh, All right, you mentioned a little bit, Doctor, about you mentioned something about, you know, the uh, affiliation between the relationship between obesity and diabetes and, you know, we, we kind of hear that back and forth. But that that is a uh, correlation between the two or is, is pretty much a proven fact. I mean, that's, that's a, a serious thing as well, correct? It is. It's a well-known, uh, well-talked-about, uh, excuse me, metabolic type of syndrome. Uh, you know, your ability to process carbohydrates uh, is diminish because you build up more resistance and your cells build up more resistance to insulin so you're not able to absorb the glucose and use it for energy and and a lot of these people want, uh, if they've had you know the lab band surgery or they've lost the weight themselves can uh, sometimes reverse the diabetes um, so so that's something to to really keep in mind and especially uh, you, you, you do get people in the early, very early stages of pre-diabetes where they're between the normal and they're not quite diabetic range. That's the time to really take action and prevent things from worsening. Because by taking care of the type two that's developing with the metal, metabolic syndrome, uh, even just losing like seven percent of your body weight can help reverse that problem uh, a bit. And you know, of course, with some moderate exercise as well. And, and so it can be reversed. I mean, in if certain you're... situations. Okay. Yeah, we were talking about type two. Yeah, I mean, if you if you lose the weight early enough, if you exercise, and or or people, you, I'm sure you've heard many people have had lab band surgeries who don't need uh, oral hyper, you know, medication for their diabetes any longer. It can't happen. Now, if you have some other cause for your diabetes, if you have an autoimmune disorder which would make you into type one, or if you have severe pancreatitis, or if you had uh, some cysts in your pancreas, or or, or there, even cystic fibrosis can cause that. You know, not everything is reversible. I'm talking about what Alan discussed about the obese, the obesity, the secondary uh, diabetes that comes from the obesity itself. Uh, right. So yeah, that that and that, and that's helpful. pretty much the one I think that most drivers uh, face because because of their lifestyle, um, their eating habits, and their lack of exercise. Um, 
that's pretty much the reason they become diabetic type 2. And a lot of them um, are verging insulin because of the lifestyle. And, I mean, although, you know, on our health shows we'll talk about, and so many people um, will come on and discuss how to eat healthier while on the road. Um, and, and it's possible because a lot of people are doing We've had a lot of guests, truck drivers, come on the show that discuss how they are losing weight and eating healthier uh, rather than just um, stopping off at truck stops or the buffet or the fast food, uh, which is really, you know, what I was saying before, a large part of um, the incline of diabetes. Have you seen a lot more people? I mean, you've been practicing a while. Does it seem mm-hmm. to you a lot more people are coming down with diabetes? It, it, certainly. I mean, uh, it's not just drivers. I mean, if you right. look at the statistics alone, about a little bit over one third of the U.S. population has some kind of metabolic syndrome. So the truck driver is only a, a, a portion of that uh, uh, sample of that population, but they're pretty much parallel. Uh, so um, I get all sorts of people that work in offices, uh, firemen, um, police officers, you know, with, with the same predicament. Uh, you know, I had one police officer tell me that he's he's about a year off from retirement, that that's when he's going to lose the weight <laughs> so that he could mm-hmm. uh, enjoy his retirement. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Probably been better off you did it 20 years ago. Then you can really enjoy your time. But better late than never, you know. Right. But it, it right. spans all sections of society. It's not just truck drivers at all, you know. Uh, but it is on the rise, right? It is on the rise, yes. Um, along with a lot of other autoimmune diseases in the last 20 years that, you know, um uh, because I've, I've been doing, like, a little research on all that, and, and it just seems to... Are you seeing a lot more of other autoimmune diseases? Yeah, I, I don't deal specifically with that population, um, so I, I can't really say that I do, because they tend to go to other specialists. Um, they, okay. They either see endocrinologists, rheumatologists, uh, you know, those other groups of right. conditions. I was just curious, you know, what mm-hmm. you've seen yourself. Um, could you define, you, you talk about the metabolic syndrome. Um, can you de- define for those listening um, how that's related to diabetes and what it is? Well, um, it typically occurs in older people who, as we mentioned, tend to be sedentary, obese, and because they've developed this insulin resistance, uh, typically they present uh, usually with maybe four out of five symptoms such as the abdominal obesity that we talked about, mm-hmm. hypertension, the increased blood sugar, uh, the triglycerides could be up, and their bad cholesterol, the LDL, would be raised as well. Because that, this picture leads to both microvascular disease, meaning small vessel disease, that can affect cardiac of course, uh, erectile function, uh, circulation everywhere, pretty much in the body, the hands, the feet, even the, the vessels that go for, uh, into the nerves. The nerves get uh, blood flow to them as well so they can get nutrients that can be affected. So uh, in the long run uh, or the shorter run, they can develop these kind of cardiac-related disease because 
the insulin has also been shown to cause hardening of the arteries itself, uh, you know, so that can raise your pressure. So that's basically what happens down, down the line. And, and of course, uh, the longer you have it, let's say after 15, 20 plus years, that's when you start seeing kind of like the end stage or long-term effects of diabetes, such as severe retinopathy, you know, the, where they need the laser eye surgery, the neuropathy where they can't feel anything in their hand, feet anymore, or the kidney disease where they can end up on dialysis. So, so there's shorter term and longer term effects, and it has to do with all the circulatory and uh, small vessel, large vessel, and nerve disease that occurs. I noticed a lot more commercials on TV about diabetic nerve pain. They're trying to sell some medicine. I can't remember the medicine name, you know. But, and there's so many, yes. But, you know, and that's another thing. I mean, I've never seen so many diabetic commercials in my life um, as, like, just the last, um, I don't know, six months, year. So it, it's, it's just scary to me. Um, it, it It's really, you know, like you said, a lot of people can reverse this through lifestyle change and diet, and uh, you know we just hope that hope that they do that they do take it seriously and they don't have to go through the long term effects. In the meantime, though, I think the focus is this new proposed rule mm-hmm. and what the um, the possible dangers are of. Just a, an exemption. I mean, it's so vague. Yeah, let's, let's right. dig a little bit deeper into the proposed rule. I mean, I know your concern is uh, uh, with the exemption. What, what data? How would the drivers prove? You know, their 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 uh, insulin diabetes is under control. And you, you've written some great articles, and uh, you've mentioned in some of those articles that it's very risky, you know, that being one of them. But the, uh, what are some of the other risks that you see in post-rule if it stands the way that they have it now? Because, like Donna said, it is extremely vague. It is extremely vague, that, that, that is true. Um, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention is that it's always been an issue, you know, with the blood sugar that where, uh, you know, the blood sugar should be for drug driver, uh, you know, like the 100 to 400 uh, milligrams per deciliter range. You familiar with that, Alan? Like they should stay within that range so they don't have risk of hypoglycemia, things like that. Um, right. That, that's because once your blood sugar drops below 100 or he's closer to 70 or below, I mean, your risk of hypoglycemia are, are high. And that's the concern we have with drivers, with truck drivers, you know, if they become hypoglycemic. But the problem is a lot of studies have shown that the better you control the blood sugar, meaning the tighter the control, meaning try to keep it as close as possible to the normal values, the less chance you have of having those long-term uh, complications with diabetes that we mentioned, like the neuropathy, the retinopathy, the kidney disease, et cetera. But you can't really tight control drivers if, you know, they have, you know, a high risk of being hypoglycemic and, 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 and crack. And then you have to be sure that they're aware or they have hypoglycemia awareness, and sometimes they don't after a while. If, if they have the diabetes for a long time, it's possible to have autonomic or those autonomic nerves are the ones that control your automatic function. They may have some autonomic neuropathy where they just don't know that they're hypoglycemic. Do you know how many times I've flown on Delta <laughs> that 
someone has passed out on the plane, they call for a doctor and I go to help, and they turn out to be a diabetic uh, who may, you know, didn't take their insulin or didn't eat or what have you. And, and the same thing happens in my office. So um, that's what I've seen. And, and and the good portion of, you know, the people that I know that have diabetes. But it doesn't mean they cannot control it properly. I've done quite a bit of running, extracurricular activities, would you believe, I mean, they're, they're diabetics doing everything. They're diabetics running marathon with the insulin pump. These guys are on top of everything, and that does not affect the, the kind of athlete or quality of athlete they are if they properly manage it. So imagine a diabetic setting records, you know, running marathon on insulin, on an insulin pump. So certainly that can drive a truck uh, because if you manage it properly and you're, and you and, and that comes with being meticulous, with being devoted and committed to to, to yourself, that, that that can be achieved. Uh, you can do anything you want, but but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I went up a little bit more. But you were asking about other risks, Alan. Yeah, in your article, you you mentioned that there's a lot of risk, you know, and uh, you know, proving the you know proving their data was one of them. I was just going to have right. you share a few others, and then we'll get Elaine in here, and y'all can kind of bounce mm-hmm. off one another before you have to run. But what you just right. mentioned, you know, kind of made me think about that lifestyle. I mean, I know a lot of. I've been out there many times where uh, you you the truck. I mean, trucking keeps you so busy. You get held up. Uh, you're on the phone with the dispatch. You get held up at the shipper receiver. I mean, there's so many things that can happen. I, I know many drivers, me included, who were just so wrapped up and busy, forgot to take their medicine. I mean, that's that's kind of a big concern because of the lifestyle. Uh, you know, just hopefully they don't forget to take their medicine or take their insulin. But uh, you you can get caught up in in what's going on out there real easily and forget. You know, so that's kind right. of a, a scary issue. Right. Well, especially and, in a truck when you're driving. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's what I mean because you get so there's so many things going on and uh Well, and it, that's what I mean without the exemption and without all these quarterly reports that they now have if they they are if they do get an exemption and they have to submit the quarterly reports to the FMCSA, if that is not defined any longer, in other words, what where's the testing coming from? I guess what I'm trying to say is if somebody comes to you, let's say this thing passed, and they hand you a note from their doctor says everything's cool, you know, um, everything's under control, are you going to accept that note or are you going to want to see actual data? Well, first, first things first, as a physician, you know, you know I'll say do no harm. I would never be able to accept a note that uh, that way because a the the driver may be at, at, uh, in danger and so is the public. Uh, I would have to know you know exactly what was done for this uh, driver, uh, whether or not uh, you know you know how do we have the five year history, how his diabetes been managed, we had any hypoglycemic episodes. I would want to know what his logs look like. I would want to know that he knows how to manage and control his diabetes, that he takes, he checks his blood sugar before he drives and, and after a meal. I would need to know all that. Uh, whether or not the FMCSA says I need to or not, it does tell me that I have to properly evaluate every driver, no matter if they have sleep apnea, diabetes, et cetera, and assure that they're safe for commercial driving. 
So if they don't spell it out to me, to me, from my point of view as, as a physician, it doesn't matter. I have to do what I think is right for the drive-in for the public. Well, I think this is a dangerous road we're taking. I mean, the more I listen to you, Doctor, because like we said in the beginning of the show, FMCSA is taking all the responsibility off of them and putting them on you guys, You're the ME. That's correct. And what's to say every examiner will do the same thing? Some examiner may accept that note, that uh, that example that Donna gave, and, and that may be bad for the reasons that we just talked about. So the consistency or the, or the quality of the exams will vary from examiner to examiner as well. And, you know, the driver uh, may have issues where they feel they're being maybe discriminated against, that someone's asking too many questions, that why is this uh, medical exam applying to my business? Well, it is my business if I'm going to put my name on the card that says you're okay and that you're not going to yeah. harm the public. Yes. So that's the way I see it. They don't like it. I mean, they can go somewhere else down the street, and you know, the you know, different doctors will do what they want, and that's a problem in itself. Yeah, you know? we back to the old days with more doctor shopping, et cetera, et cetera. That's not a that's not a good uh, area to go into right now. You know, especially and after establishing exactly. the registry. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's what I was that's what I was going to point out, it, it, and it's like a total contradiction to the to the means for the national registry. <laughs> Correct. Right, Donna. Yeah, I. I, I mean, I, it, it, it contradicts. It, it contradicts what the National Registry was for. Really, and I'm. I'm. I, I hate to get back uh, at this, but I just can't believe that you guys weren't notified. Let me ask you: Do you get notified of other, um, you know, other other things, announcements? Uh, are you um, all on a list, and you get periodic emails or um, any kind of notification? Any kind of notifications about anything? We we do, and if you remember when we did the sleep apnea show, we, that mm-hmm. notice, the, the bulletin to medical examiner, we get periodic bulletins. A lot of it lately has been about examiners, answering examiners' questions. I guess a lot of them call the FMCSA directly, how to fill out the card, what is this box for, how do I know if it's interested, you know, interstate, and, th- and things of that nature, and when to use the new forms. So... We do get periodic notices, um, uh, but as far as the, 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 these new rules, uh, I don't know if there's, there's going to be a, any kind of change where examiners are also notified, you know, directly. I don't know if that will be the case, though. Well, I, I mean, any it's just common sense. I mean, if you're putting the responsibility on a certain group that you've created that group, and now you're putting responsibility on them and taking it away from you, I would assume that you would notify them of that so that they right. can give their input and respond. So to me, right. um, Elaine, you, you're with us. I mean, do, do you agree on that, or, or how do you feel about that? Oh, Elaine, are you there? Did we lose Elaine? No, I still have her here. I'm here. Did you hear me? No. Okay, we hear you now. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, yeah, the agency has the email addresses. uh, In order to be on the medical registry of the National Registry, you have to have a way to communicate by email with the agency. And they have, like, they do send out bulletins. They can do that whenever they want to. I would have, personally, I would have assumed that they would have notified people and said, here's the rule. 
with a link to it, da 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 is you know you have until such right. and such a time. Okay, so I, I'm I not would, being off the wall, um, you know, saying what I'm saying. No, they could have I mean, easily done that, um, but mm-hmm. I guess they chose not to. I know that they always post the new rules on their own web page, and, of course, it's in the Federal Register. That's where they publish it for public comment, and then they make a notice on their own web page that this has been published, and, and here's a link to it. But they probably, I would have thought the same as you, Donna, that they should have sent it out to all the people on the medical registry. There are over 40,000 medical examiners right. now on the National Registry, and they should have notified them, I would think. But, I mean, so. I'd, I'd like to think it was an oversight, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty big oversight. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I did want to mention something. I I know you have questions for Dr. Rosarian, so you may want to wait uh, a little bit longer, but I did also want to address some of the compliance issues and some of the additional risks that I think um, are in in the rule because of not putting in prevention measures that they should have put into the rule. Well, you know, um, oh, sure. I I think... um, I don't know, Dr. Rosarian, did you want to add something? I mean, we've pretty much tackled your responsibility and, um, you know, how there's a lot of weight put on you guys now because of this. Um, Anything else, any other red flags you see from this proposal? Well, um, I I think we we kind of talked about it a little bit, and I I think – Probably Elaine and you guys will get more into it in a little bit more detail. But the right. you know, the three questions that I put put forward in the in the beginning, uh, when Alan asked me the first question is what I want to get out from the point of view of, of a medical examiner as far as my concerns. Um but I would also add that um I don't know A, if all medical examiners are ready or probably trained to to Evaluate the reports from the treating clinicians, you know, properly. Uh, right. And so that means we may have to add more training or uh, training, uh, I guess, courses to the registry itself. Not, not to become a medical examiner. Well, maybe down the road as part of it, if we're going to get rid of things like exemptions, all these different exemptions, they need to know about it in their training. Um, and and I would say, not that I'm coming to the defense of the FMCS or anything, that maybe because the registry is relatively new, and it was an oversight, <laughs> not really notifying us. I don't know. Elaine would know better than me. Uh, you know. So. Right. That's a that's a big one, though. Gotta say. Yeah. Yeah. Seriousness. Well, <laughs> well uh, I know you got to run, doctor. Let me ask you over here real quick. How do you think this uh, proposed rule, if it becomes, you know, comes into effect? How do you see it affecting uh, the newcomers, you know, the newbies coming into the industry with either type 1 or type 2 insulin, insulin-treated diabetes? How does it affect the new drivers coming into the industry? Yeah, how do you think it will affect them? Well, you mean if they get rid of the exemption? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I mean... You, I guess you can talk better about that than me, Alan, in terms of shortage and everything that they have in the industry and everything. I think more people will apply. I have to tell you the truth. I've had a few insulin diabetics come in, and these guys have been 
healthy 100% otherwise, except for the fact they're using insulin and the fact they really take good care of themselves, et cetera. I did their exam, given the, the form and everything, but because of the amount of information they have to put in, the, the thickness of the form, and once they see what they have to go through, I think a lot of them became discouraged. Some of them said, you know what, I, I don't know if I'm going to drive any longer. <laughs> you know, I, I, right. I'm just trying to maintain my CDL. Uh, I'm going to do some other job. And I think that's bad, you know, and um, lessening that uh, burden on them would be certainly helpful for, for, for the industry, but it needs to be done safely, you know. Uh, like I said from the beginning, they shouldn't feel like, oh, now there's no rules. This is a free pass for me, you know. I don't have to do this because that will be bad for everyone in the long run. Right. right. So hopefully on that final rule then um, enough people – you know that understand the seriousness of the disease, and and you you know they'll write in and put their comments in. I know I know you both are are going to be writing in, and hopefully other medical examiners um, will be writing in also. If they know about it. If they know about it, right? <laughs> which I I'm, which I, I seriously have my doubts that they do. I mean, Doctor Rosarin's on top of all this stuff, but I mean, not to say anything about any other, but I mean. How many people? They, they didn't get a notice. I mean, they should have. When it's this serious, where all the responsibilities on the doctors, then they they should have had a notice sent out. Absolutely. You know, so um, hopefully that you know there's going to be more people in the medical field that will put their their two cents in and and they'll take it seriously and that they'll expand on that final rule and there will be um, more detail about what what drivers have to do. Um, and I know we're going to get into you know, to apply for an exemption just to review it, you know, what they do have to do now. And uh, I think, Elaine, that's going to be part of, of yours right. with with uh, the, pro, the pros and cons with your article that you wrote uh, about, you know, the good the good and the bad of this whole rule. Yeah, so, all right, Doctor. Well, I know you got to run, but, hey, we appreciate your time. Yeah, very all much. Right. I appreciate you guys having me and keep up the work that you're doing. I, I do pass out your number and your website to the truckers. And funny, oh, great. Uh, you should know Donna and, and Alan that a lot of times I want to talk to them about medical stuff, but they want to talk about other stuff. I was a service. Yeah. And insurance. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? You need to talk to Alan. You know? <laughs> so yeah. this is, I don't think the medical stuff is the top of the list. You know, the other stuff that you guys do every day is what's on, on the top of the list, you know, for them. Yeah. Oh yeah, especially all the regulations and everything. Yeah. That's like you know priority. Yeah, well they they need to get that health up there too because that's 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 the most important. Without, well, that's why we're doing our health shows yeah. on Thursday nights too. Without your health, yeah. you don't have anything. So we'll 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 send them we'll send them your way too, doctor. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, hey, thanks again. We appreciate it. Have a great evening. You have too. a good time, Doctor R- Randy. Oh, thanks, uh, thanks, Elaine. Bye, Donna. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Dr. Randy Rosarian. His website, again, is usdotmedicalexaminer.com, award-winning DOT medical examiner out of New York. And uh, All right, Elaine. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's still so much. Uh, you can fill us all in here. I don't know where you want to start. I mean, the pros and cons. You, you, you've also written some great articles and, uh, the, you know, staying the, uh, the elimination of the this cumbersome diabetes exemption program is a benefit for the driver, 
but you also discussed the pros and cons about the concerns and safety of the new proposed rule. We can start there if you'd like or wherever you prefer. Okay, well, I'd just like to make two points. Um, with the compliance issues when you were talking about people being compliant with their treatment and so forth and how would the medical examiner know that, Uh Um, Some of the things I'm going to talk about with the pros and cons will help the medical examiner be aware of the compliance. But I think part of what's going on in our society is people think they just get the disease, like catching a cold or something. You know, it just sort of happens to them and they get this disease and they don't quite understand, I think, their own uh, responsibility, particularly with the obesity. I mean, obesity is just really key to this metabolic syndrome. That's why it's called Mm -hmm. metabolic syndrome. It has to do with processing uh, the food and your metabolism and so forth. So when you're really overweight, uh, when you have a very high, bad word, BMI, um, then you are at much more risk for developing diabetes. People who eat very high sugar um, candies and uh, you know, sodas and so forth uh, are at a much more high, a higher risk because it, the, uh, in order to use the sugar, which is the fuel for the body, the cells have to be able to go, it has to be able to go through the cell wall into the cell for the cell to use it. And the cell cannot use it without insulin because insulin is like the key that unlocks the cell wall and allows the, in, the sugar to go in. So if you have all this sugar, then the body has to go produce insulin, produce insulin, produce insulin, produce insulin until it just sort of runs out. Um, and then they get have to use um, oral medications to help boost the pancreas. And then when the pancreas completely goes dry, then they have to use the, the insulin. So in order to, to use the sugar that we eat, the body has to have insulin Otherwise, it won't get in, and the sugar will just be flowing all around in the body, which is very bad for all every organ of the body. Well, um, well isn't of, though high high carbohydrate um, also a contributor? Like things like bread, pasta, rice, um, yes, yeah, things like simple that. Sugars, simple sugars, rather than complex. Yeah, it's much much more um, the, the carbohydrates that are digested very fast um, are are culprits too. And that's most of what we like to eat. We like to eat right. donuts and pasta and, you know, those types of things. So um, the other problem is that people think, well, I'm just going to take a pill or I'm going to do whatever. Right. I don't have to modify my diet. I don't have to exercise. It's hard to make change. And people don't want to have to do that. I've been used to eating this. This is what I like. I'm, I'm just going to take this pill and it'll fix my diabetes. And it doesn't. Um, I'm going to take insulin. A lot of people who are on insulin will say, well, I want to eat this piece of cake, so I'm just going to give myself more insulin. They play right. with it all the time. Uh, one of the things that I also saw uh, in some studies that I done that were done, now these studies were done in England, but they still apply. They did a study of 15,000 people who had um, type 2 diabetes, and they found that... Um, Fifty percent of them were not compliant with their doctor's right. treatment. Fifty percent. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, because they, like you said, they have a false security with that that pill. Right, and so if you have all those people not complying with their, um, it's it's going to be here too. You know, it's just this 
50% of the people don't comply. I mean, people who are on the phone, think about it. Do you take your medicine the way your doctor tells you? Whatever kind of problem you have. Um, right. Do you follow your doctor's orders? Do you make the visits to the doctor that you're supposed to make? Um, most of us don't do that. So that's, a, that's right. a serious concern, particularly with this rule. Now, one of the other things that's a concern with this rule is that the agency is focusing on what they call severe hypoglycemic events rather than moderate hypoglycemic events. And a, the difference between the two, a moderate hypoglycemic event is an event where you start getting shaky, you start uh, getting foggy brain, you lose concentration, um, and you know that, oh, my blood sugar is really low, but you are able to grab some, you know, candy bar or to grab some orange juice or they have this special glucagon, this high uh, glucose, and take it and that fixes the hypoglycemia. So that's moderate when you can manage it yourself. Severe hypoglycemia is when you can't take care of it by yourself and somebody has to intervene. You have to either be taken to the hospital or somebody has to help you with it because you can't do it by yourself. Well, when does it get to that point, though? I mean, if you're a driver and that's a, you know, I mean. It can happen overnight. It, it can happen in a second, depending on whether or not a driver has what they call, or anybody has what they call um, hypoglycemic awareness. There are a lot of people who have uh, this and the insulin just will drop. I mean, the blood sugar will drop because of the shot of insulin and then, they won't even get symptoms. They'll just go into the severe hypoglycemic event. And so the agency in the new proposed rule is saying we're going to look at severe hypoglycemic events as the um, the culprit, sort of. If somebody has had a severe hypoglycemic event with a certain period of time, then they won't be able to drive. But moderate okay. hypoglycemic so, but moderate hypoglycemic events, when you look, the um, American Diabetes Association just did in January of 2014, they just published a policy paper on uh, diabetes and driving. Now, their paper is talking about driving an automobile, basically. But um, what they talked about in there was they did a study of 452 drivers that had type 1 diabetes, which people are on insulin. They followed mm -hmm. them for 12 months, and out of those, 41% reported a total of 503 episodes of moderate hypoglycemia. Now, that's 2.7 episodes per person in 12 months. And that's where they have to grab the candy bar or the orange juice or something right. like that themselves. They don't need intervention. Right. And mm -hmm. what it says is the significant impact of moderate hypoglycemia is supported by a lot of studies. And it consistently impairs driving safely, impairs judgment as to whether to continue to drive or to self-treat, and how to self-treat under these conditions. 25% of the respondents that they talked to thought it was safe to drive even when their blood glucose was very low. So the moderate hypoglycemia according to the studies done and reported by the American Diabetes Association, consistently impairs driving safety. Right. So and, 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 and I just want to get back to something you said. You said that if they have severe hypoglycemic episodes, that they will not be able to drive. 
okay, which gets back to the original discussion we ha- we had with Dr. Rosarian that stated when the driver goes there for his card and it's based on the driver's clinician giving the information, the only way he would know that, meaning he, meaning the medical examiner, would right. be from the information that they bring from the clinician. Okay? Right. So, and that is vague in the rule. Right. So, and you know, they, they, go ahead. Yeah, here are a couple of things that I I am very strongly believe. One, I very strongly believe that FMCSA should eliminate the exemption program. In the exemption program, however, right now, if you get an exemption for diabetes, you have to report every quarter what your endocrinologist or treating clinician says, what your um, hemoglobin A1Cs, what your blood sugar control is, and so forth. So you have to send material in every three months to the FMCSA saying that you're in good control. And that's just people who have an exemption. Okay, I just want to clarify that. You also have to test your blood sugar an hour before you get into the driver's seat to be sure that it's high enough to not cause a problem. And if it isn't, then you are expected to eat something to raise your blood sugar level. And then you are required to check your blood sugar level periodically throughout the day to make sure that you're not dropping down. And it's a precaution to make sure you don't get into one of those hypoglycemic unawareness places. So you're right. testing your blood. Also, are required under the current exemption to carry what they call rapidly absorbable glucose. Now that can be mm-hmm. a candy bar, it can be hard candies, it can be orange juice, it can be this glucagon, something that is within reach while you're driving. So if you begin to feel funny, you just reach for it and you start, you know, putting sugar into your body. Those Precautions are not included in the proposed rulemaking. Right. And part of the reason they're not included in the proposed rulemaking, according to what the FMCSA says, is that it is impractical and unenforceable. Well, my question is then, since they've had this exemption program for such a long time, how have they been enforcing it? Right. In other words, if it... That was my question. Um, you said that you know they have to they have strict rules of everything they need to do, uh, keep blood glucose logs, um, you know, trust the everything you just said. Okay. Right. So and now, if you, now they have to submit those. Do they submit these logs? Yes. Okay, but to. now they're saying that they no longer have to submit them. And uh, why? I mean, I mean that's a perfect question. So who was looking at the submissions before? They were. So are they saying that the um, the MEs or the clinicians aren't aren't going to pay attention to these logs? I mean, well, I don't I don't get logs. it. They're not requiring the logs. They're saying that the treating clinician probably require the logs because usually treating clinicians do require logs. It's kind of a standard of practice. Um, that you test your blood sugar, you keep a log. Sometimes the little blood sugar machine that they have now, you know, all the latest technology, keeps the log for you so you don't have to write it. 
and then you just do a printout of what your law means. And then there are people who have uh, monitors that are continuous monitors, and they will uh, give off a um, alarm when the blood sugar gets too low. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different technology that can be used, but according to the agency, it's all going to be, and I find this uh, a little bit discombobulating because they're giving the treating clinician all the authority, but they're mm-hmm. giving the decision-making to the medical examiner. So they're right. tying the hands. They're not giving the medical examiner the tools that the medical examiner needs to be able to do what I call evidence-based decision-making. Mm-hmm. The medical examiner needs to have evidence for their decision-making because their name goes on that certificate. They're the ones responsible. And that's what and, Dr. Rosarian was saying. He would have yeah, to see that. And, yeah, so Dr. Rosarian doesn't know, you know, Dr. Smith in Baltimore. Right. And Dr. Smith in Baltimore t- treats driver Dr. Jones, I mean, Mr. Jones. So Mr. Jones goes to Dr. Rosarian and has a letter that says he's well-controlled. Well, how do you know that? You know, Dr. Smith, did you take the um, blood glucose logs? Did you do this? Did you do that? Um, The other thing is the eye exam. Under the current exemption program, all people who hold an exemption are required to have an eye exam of the retina to make sure that they have not developed retinopathy. Now, there are two reasons that that needs to be done in my mind. One is retinopathy is a very serious disease that causes blindness and is not detectable by the vision test that is included in the medical exam today. So for drivers who have diabetes, they have to do this extra eye exam for retinopathy to see if they're developing this eye disease from the diabetes. Mm -hmm. It's called diabetic retinopathy. The second reason for it is if you're developing retinopathy, then your diabetes is not in control. So it gives the medical examiner another tool to make a decision, another piece of information, another piece of evidence to say, oh, this driver is not in good control. He's developing retinopathy. So and they're I not believe, requiring that eye exam anymore? No. Mm-mm. So uh, I believe they need to mandate in the rule that a driver carry rapidly absorbable glucose. I believe they need to mandate that the driver's blood glucose level one hour before driving and periodically while they're driving, that they have to maintain glucose logs. They have to undergo an eye exam, and I think they also should require the driver to have what they call hypoglycemic awareness training. And that is, you can do that online. The Diabetic Association has it online. I think it's NIH or uh, another one of the organizations has it, uh, government organizations has this uh, diabetes awareness, hypoglycemic awareness, because that will help. These are all prevention safety measures. And it's important for the driver because if the driver is noncompliant, which 50% of the people are, you could assume that if 50% of 15,000 people are not compliant, most likely 15% of the drivers who have diabetes are also not compliant. And if they're not compliant and they don't have anything that's 
making them give an incentive for them to increase their compliance. They like Dr. Rosarians that are just going to keep running around saying, hey, yeah, I have this free pass. But it's the right. agency into the rulemaking these requirements, then if a driver wants to be able to continue their livelihood, they need to do this. This is good for the public, but it is really good for the driver because it means well, that he's going to get an idea of what does his blood glucose do if he keeps these logs? How, how does he react? What's his body doing? And the rapidly absorbable glucose is imperative for that person to have. If that person doesn't have rapidly absorbable glucose and they start getting these symptoms, it's not going to take long until it gets the severe glucose hypoglycemia and they need to be taken to the hospital, and they could die. If they're out somewhere, um, you know, in the middle of rural America driving cross-country and they have one of these experiences and they don't have any rapidly absorbable glucose within reach that they can take, they could end up, you know, pulling over the side of the road and dying. I mean, it's really serious. And the problem that I have with people um, and understanding diabetes is everybody just thinks it's blood sugar, and it isn't. It's just this very complex endocrine disease that affects all the body organs. So it's a serious disease, and I think we need to look at ways to help the driver be in compliance, ways to keep the people safe by having precautions put into the rule, and ways to give the medical examiner who's ultimately responsible for the um, medical certificate information that they can use to make that determination. I think they should definitely collaborate with the treating clinician. I mean, I think that's imperative, so I totally agree with that. The treating clinician is the one who really knows the patient, but that should not be the only tool that they give, that the agency gives to the medical examiner. They should include well, you know, other Yeah. I was just going to say, well, I, I mean, listen to all this, this, this totally doesn't make any sense to me because, uh, I mean, all the all these measures you're talking about, Elaine, I mean, those, like you said, those are safety measures. So right. why in the why in the world would the FMCSA remove safety measures? And you know, I'm thinking to myself, how many times I was out on the road and drivers are out on the road. Let's say you have someone insulin dependent. And they have enough insulin. They head out on their trip. They have enough insulin with them for for three weeks, okay? And I remember so many times where I needed to get home for something, and it, it would take me a week to get home for my dispatch to get me home. So he, so you have a driver out there that has three weeks supply of insulin, and he's telling his his dispatcher he needs to get home, and he's already beginning his fourth week. I mean, I, I could just see, a, I I could I. Understanding the lifestyle out there, I can just see a lot of problems with this thing. I don't understand why the FMCA would remove such important safety measures, especially when we're dealing with something as serious as insulin dependence. Right. Well, according to what they said in the rule was they didn't think these were enforceable or practical. And the practical probably refers to um, all the agencies that do rulemaking across the board have to do economic burden. Um, they have to do an analysis of how much this is going to put a burden on the public. So to keep logs would be considered an economic burden. To have to carry rapidly absorbable glucose, to have to train the inspectors, you know, the roadside inspectors and the enforcement
used to work for OSHA, as you mentioned, and I worked on rulemaking there, too. And sometimes the rulemakers look at this economic burden and say, well, if their doctor requires this, whether they're driving a truck or, you know, typing at a desk, if the driver requires them to have blood glucose logs and that's part of the standard of practice, then that doesn't have to be counted as economic burden because it's not additional that the rule is putting on the driver. And it's something that they required uh, with the exemption. So evidently they thought it was important that they do this. And now it's very contradictory in my mind. I don't understand how... I think it's boiling down to money again. Well, but like Elaine said, having to test the roadside inspectors and everything, well, that costs money. But then there shouldn't be this um, this waiver for the exemption, right? I mean, if if it's not feasible, because I guess what they're thinking of is that once they remove um, the exemption application, then there's going to be thousands more people, and they wouldn't be able to handle all those logs coming in. and Well, the, but the, the enforcement people, the, the logs wouldn't be coming into FMCSA. And um, the, the issue also was, well, how does the roadside inspector know that this person that they've stopped has um, diabetes? And my uh, comments that I'm writing into the agency for the public comment is you change the medical certificate. On the medical certificate that, you know, you guys know that what you call the medical card, it says, I, Dr. Rosarian, have examined, you know, Elaine Papp, and I find her to be physically qualified to drive if, and there's little check boxes, mm-hmm. wearing corrective lenses, having a blank exemption, having an SPE certificate. They just add another little box that says... right. Carrying rapidly absorbable glucose and maintaining blood sugar logs. Right. So then, when the med, when the roadside inspector sees that, okay, show me your rapidly absorbable glucose. Show me your logs. So what if and, the driver says, "Well, I just drank my orange juice thirty minutes ago, and I don't have it here." Well, you should always have rapidly absorbable glucose. You, you know, you get dinged. You can't rely on somebody telling you, well, I just drank it. You know what I mean? Ha- right. You have to have it. That's what the rule says. So you always have to have it. Um, so I think it is enforceable. And with the training of the um, inspectors, the inspectors, the roadside folks and the enforcement folks, they go to biannual, every six months, mandatory training to look at all of the new things that are coming down the pike and any kind of new information they have to have. So I'm not so sure that they'd have to include that in the uh, in an economic burden because mm-hmm. it would just be included as part of that mandatory training that they do. So, so see, which leads me to the question why why don't they want to include it? It it obviously was important before. It must still be important. And so they maybe is it possible? I don't know how the agency runs, but is it, it possible this just wasn't thought out properly? Oh no, 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 no. We spent many, many hours on this, um, many, many years actually. Um, I think it has to do with cost and the economic burden because of I believe the philosophy that they have that certain things 
be, be if they're in the rule, they have to be costed out, and it would be too high of a burden. So That's, you knew about this exemption coming out? I did. Okay. Yeah. That's why I say it's all about money. All yeah, about I, money think it, I think it, it is. I'm um, concerned about and it. This but, isn't, uh, again, for our listeners, this isn't to say we're against the exemption, just like you said, Elaine. It's just the way it's, the way it's written. It's right. not protecting right. the driver's health, and they they right. need to realize that we're you know we're a, about the driver and and caring for you know all kinds of things, health regulations and all like that. And you know you can get excited over something because it's going to give you a new opportunity. Um, however, it, you just because somebody isn't looking at you to make sure you're doing something doesn't mean that you don't have the responsibility yourself to take care of yourself. But I can but like I mentioned earlier, I've given some examples and I can come up with I can come up with many if I wanted to, but it's just the complications of the lifestyle. Once again, the driver has he heads out for 3 weeks. He thinks he's going to be out for 3 weeks. He has a 3-week supply of insulin and at the end of the 3 weeks, dispatch still hasn't gotten him home. And, which happens all the time, and so there's a lot of dangers here. I mean, well, they would. I mean, uh huh. Go ahead, there's Elaine. There's dangers for the driver, and there's dangers for the public. And right, I don't believe that there is any commercial motor vehicle driver out there who doesn't care about his response, his or her responsibility to the public safety. Nobody wants right. a crash. I mean, nobody wants to kill anyone. Nobody wants to cause serious property damage, they certainly don't want to hurt themselves. But it's their livelihood, and they want to be able to operate, and there's this huge growing number of people who have diabetes, and there's a huge growing number of people who are not compliant with their doctor's regime, their treatment regimen, and so there are a huge number of drivers that are going on insulin. And, and they don't understand the seriousness. That's the the, the key. Yeah. So, you know, they need to, to balance these two things, and they can balance it if they look at incorporating into the rule those requirements. You know, get rid of the exemption program, but incorporate into the rule requirements that give the driver extra added information about himself, give the safety precautions, and also those same provisions would give the medical examiner extra data and evidence to base the decision that they have to make. So that's what I think should happen. I think the agency needs to look at other than severe hypoglycemic events. They have to look at moderate hypoglycemic events. How many moderate hypoglycemic events did a driver have during this year? You know, 2.7 moderate hypoglycemic events that affect your ability to operate is serious. And the last thing that I really want to focus on is that the agency came up with the National Registry of Certified Medical Examiners because they believed that treating clinicians, your regular GP or your doctor who treats you for whatever, doesn't have a clear understanding of commercial motor vehicle driving. And they Mm -hmm. require that the people who want to be on the National Registry have to be trained in the regulations, in the responsibilities and roles of a commercial motor vehicle driver. Then they have to be tested 
to see if they've got the information in their head, and then they'd be listed on the National Registry. And here they have to now depend on the note from the clinician who the FMCSA said that they're not, you know. Yeah. So all the things that Alan's talking about, you know, the stresses, the time, the long hours away from home, being away from your treating clinician, all of those kinds of things, um, the treating clinician doesn't understand about CMV driving, or at least that's what the agency said when they did the National Registry. So right. now they have people on the National Registry, but they're not giving them the information they need to make the decision. They're relying on the treating clinician. So in this sense, what they're saying is the treating clinician is making the decision about whether you can drive or not. In, in so many words, the but, the, but the responsibility is great. Yeah, the medical examiner is signing the medical card, but the treating clinician is really the one making the decision. And they don't have any control or authority over all those treating clinicians. So the agency right. has authority over the medical examiners, but not over the treating clinicians, and yet the treating clinicians are given the authority. So it seems a little bit cattywampus to me, uh, mm-hmm. whatever that mm-hmm. How does Canada uh, deal with this? Because they have a, a, a rule for their drivers, don't they? Yes, they do. Um, Canada's system is a little bit different. They do not have a national registry. Canada uses the treating clinician as the medical decision maker. but And they require certain things for all drivers to have a driver's license of any sort in Canada. You have to have, um, you know, test your glucose level before you get into the driver's seat. You have to maintain logs. You have They have all of those requirements. And then for the commercial motor vehicle drivers, they up the ante, the requirements are stricter for them. So um, so how do they do, afford it? I don't know. Maybe they have different rules about economic requirements. I don't know. But I mean, it, yeah, they're saying, yeah. FMCSA is saying that it's not enforceable and it's an economic burden. I mean, that's what I mean. So if Canada is doing it... I think they're so far ahead of us. Yeah, they have fewer, you know, they're a smaller country. They have fewer drivers and stuff. Um, but they published their uh, their um, version It's uh, in August of 2013, so it's relatively new, and they have all of their requirements for uh, medical requirements for driving. It's called Determining Driver Fitness in Canada, and Part 1 is the model for how they do their administration of fitness programs. And then okay. part two are their medical standards for driving. And the ones for diabetes are, I think, on page like 168 or something like that. They have a whole right, many me, pages of them um, because of all of the requirements they have. Right. Okay, so they, they do require an annual exam like FMCSA is proposing, um, at least annual. can have it more frequent than annual, but... Um, yeah. So those right, are kind of my thoughts. Did I answer all the questions you had? Yeah, I think so. Let me let me try Illinois again because they're uh, still here, and I wanted to give them the opportunity. Maybe they just missed me last time. But Illinois, area code 630, uh, welcome to the show. Go ahead. Thank you. One quick thing. Oh, you there? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Canada has socialized medicine. They afford the program 
because the government provides all medical treatment. That's true. That's how that all works. Well, how do they afford, though? We're talking about the enforcement. Um, This is Bob, right? Bob Sin? Yes, Bob Sin. Okay. You start with the whole process. In Canada, everyone is assumed to be fit to drive because everyone gets free medical treatment. All doctors are required to report anyone with any what in the States would be a disqualifying condition. So the, it's, instead of being examined to make sure that you don't have something, the way it works in Canada is that if you, since you get all your medical care for free, if the doctor is treating you for something which is disqualifying, the doctor is required to report that to Transport Canada, okay. which is their equivalent of the DOT. Um, And again, I agree with much, a lot of what Elaine and Dr. Rosarian are are asking about, but let's just, two things to think about. Is this rulemaking really a reaction to improvements in the quality of the types of insulin which are available for use? When the waiver program first started, the only type of insulin was quick-acting. Actually, Bob, may I interrupt? Sure. That's that's not actually true because when I went to nursing school many years ago, there was long-acting insulin. It's been around for quite some time. There are other forms of insulin that are, you know, coming out, but all forms of insulin have a risk of hypoglycemia. You can read the American Diabetes Association document. Um, So there may be different levels of when you need to test your blood sugar, but you always have to test your blood sugar. Okay. But the, the question is, you know, and again, the discussion has been removing the requirements. Could the movement for removing of some of the requirements be relating to the improvements in the quality of uh, diabetes treatment? The question to Alan would be, Alan, aren't you on a CPAP? If we go down the road of roadside being able to ask to see your uh, insulin law or your your blood glucose logs, would you be comfortable with roadside enforcement asking to see your CPAP and seeing your CPAP compliance data? Trucking has history with that kind of stuff going on in the Minnesota Fatigue Enforcement Program, and the court's reaction to that was not pretty. What are your thoughts about that? Well, you asking Alan? Yeah, if we, if, we, if if you think it's it's appropriate to have to produce blood glucose logs if you're an insulin dependent diabetic, a person on a CPAP could then be also required to produce their CPAP and produce their CPAP compliance logs. Do we go down that whole road? Do we want? They're to not that doing that now. Your blood? No. Well, if you want to okay. have to take your blood pressure? You know, and produce blood pressure logs. At what, you know, sort of at what point do we, where do we go with this whole question? Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, that's Alan, a, that's are you an, comfortable um, with, with, with officers asking for your CPAP and a compliance log? Well, yeah, may I interrupt? It wouldn't bother me anymore. Sure. Yeah, before you ever would get to the officers having to ask for that, you'd have to get to a rulemaking for obstructive sleep apnea. Well, yeah, the, the, the concept is, though, even having a checkoff for insulin-dependent diabetes 
on the medical card. Right. I'm not saying a checkoff for insulin diabetes because you don't want to put that on the medical card. What you put on is that they have to carry rapidly absorbable glucose and they have to maintain glucose logs. Now, you're not asking them to judge the glucose logs. You're just saying, are you keeping the logs? Do you have the, the glucose with you? And okay. the requirement for the CPAP and the CPAP logs, it's not a requirement yet, but people do take those to their um, medical examiner, and some medical examiners want to see those before they make a determination as to whether you really are in compliance with things. Right. So, so yeah, and it all has yeah, to boil back down is, to people not being compliant. And usually, Bob, you have to maintain blood glucose logs by your treating clinician so that that <laughs> treating clinician can see the logs, particularly if you're new on insulin. No, and, and, and I'm all in favor of that. In fact, I would prefer to see, instead of just saying treating clinician, that there be a higher level of expertise in diabetes treatment than just any treating clinician. We have a well, problem is there's not enough endocrinologists, but there is yeah. a certification in advanced diabetes care and management for RNs, NPs, PAs, and MDs. Why not well, make yes, it a slightly higher the, um, requirement so at least these treating clinicians have some more training and expertise in diabetes management? Right, and I don't think that's a bad idea either, but we as an agency that's a safety agency have no control over treating clinicians. So could, you know, we you could, could say that could, a driver could. has to go to a treating clinician that has a certificate. There are not right. enough endocrinologists. The current exemption program required an endocrinologist, and drivers found a lot of problems finding an endocrinologist yep. and getting a timely appointment with an endocrinologist. But the rulemaking could require the treating clinician have, you know, and again, you use some language that requires an additional level of certification. And again, it's it, it's just, it, it again, it's not a saying. It makes sense. We want these cl treating clinicians to make sure the driver is actually being treated correctly. And that's so important. And this is putting everything on the medical examiner without allowing them to have the data that they need from the clinician to evaluate everything properly. And Again, that's any, the missing any link. Examiner, any medical examiner can refuse to certify. Again, Link, correct me, but can't they say, you know, I want to see X additional testing, initial or conditional certification pending the results of additional testing? That's always been in. That's, that's isn't that part of the authority a medical examiner has? It is, but as our as our um, country becomes more litigious, um, there are more cases that are coming up where the medical examiners are accused of discrimination, and the medical examiners really need the FMCSA to come down on a whole lot of things. What? What's the definition of well control? Yep. Yes. <laughs> so that, you know, Bob, we have that same problem right now with obstructive sleep apnea. Um, people will go to one clinician and they'll say, you have to do this. Another driver will go to a different clinician and they'll say, you have to do this. And there's no um, standardization, so people are, the drivers are treated very differently. No, but and, and that's, where, that's where we agree, is the rule needs much more specificity. It needs specificity, but it needs to be specific.
specificity. <laughs> I have trouble with that word. Um, <laughs> that is also, um, and this is where the, you know, the rub comes. Technology changes over time. Right now, the major test that they're doing for uh, blood glucose to see if you are in good control is called a hemoglobin A1C. But that's an average of the last three months, what your blood sugar has been for the last three months. As they get more involved with better technology, better testing, and so forth, that's going to change. That laboratory test will be like a rotary phone. The agency doesn't want to put anything into its rules that says you have to use a rotary phone when nobody has rotary phones anymore. So you have to put it in language so that there's some type of laboratory test that, you know, our current standard of practice or something like that, that leaves it open so that as medical technology changes, the rule doesn't become obsolete. Do you follow what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think we're I think we're all in agreement that um, uh, it, it's just the way this uh, proposed rule is written. That, uh, but right. you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of worried that uh, it it's nothing's going to happen. I don't know how many. Have you seen how many comments have been written up there, to Donna? Or you're on. I mute. looked the other day. You're and on there were mute, Donna. Forty-five comments, but far and away the majority of them, and this was two days ago were from drivers who just uh, put in one comment like, um, it's long overdue that they get rid of the exemption program. So they mm. were saying, we support this, but there wasn't any substance to whether this should be this way or this should be that way or what should be added or what should be different. And the fact that we only have one week left is a right. serious concern. Um, right. For those people who are, may not be familiar with the um, rulemaking process, is once the agency says this is what we propose to do as a rulemaking, we're proposing this regulation, and they have all the specifics in there, they cannot change that. So unless someone comments and says we don't like that and this is what we think it should be, or we do like that, if they say they don't like it, they can't can change it, but if nobody says anything about it, it has to go in the way they wrote it the first time because the agency is not allowed to do bait and switch. Right, and that's why I say that's probably we're not going to see any changes, and there would probably be a lot more comments from medical examiners and clinicians, if uh, especially the MEs, if they had been if they had been notified of the proposed rules. So I, I mean, the whole thing is just kind of a mess, in my opinion. But as the uh, time's winding down here, Elaine. But listen, how about w- w- just in closing here? What are some what are some of the measures drivers can take? Uh, drivers taking insulin. What are some of the measures that they could take to minimize risk of crash? I mean, I know the important one is probably listening to your physician. But what are some of the other uh, uh, things measures that they can take? Um, I I believe that whether or not the rule says this. They should do it anyhow. Um, one, a driver should really get to, to know his clinician, should know what kind of diet he needs to be on, should incorporate exercise into his lifestyle, should lose weight. Um, people, I have known people who have type 2 diabetes who were put on insulin and they've lost weight, a lot of weight, gone off of their insulin. 
Um, so taking care of themselves, diet, exercise, absolutely complying with whatever the treatment regimen is that the doctor says. Get to know your own body by testing your glucose, finding out what does it do during the day. Um, depending on what type of, of insulin you're taking, you test your glucose at whatever level the doctor says whenever, maybe every eight hours, maybe every four, but you do it in a compliance. Definitely, definitely, definitely test the blood glucose before getting into the cab of the truck so that you know that it's high enough that you're not going to have a problem once you get down the road. And then carry the rapidly absorbable glucose. And if a driver has not already, they should definitely go to the hypo-awareness, hypoglycemic awareness training that the American Diabetes Association has online. Um, they talk about how many hours it is. They call it the BAGC, the, B the Blood Glucose Awareness Training, the BGAT is what they call it. And it's an online training, and I think the drivers who have in, are taking insulin need to know what to do. And a driver who's newly on insulin, who's been taking oral medicine and now has just gone on to insulin, it takes a while for the physician, the treating clinician, to figure out the best way to control. Those drivers may have hypoglycemic events once they're new. It takes about a good three to six months to kind of figure out the, the right kind of formula for diet and insulin and exercise. So well, did that I tell your you. Question? Oh, yeah. I mean, basically, really, I mean, the safety measures that are in place now that will not be in place, possibly not be in place in the proposed rule, they need to just continue to follow those anyway. So, I mean, it's all about their safety and their, their life, too, but... Hey, tell, tell us real quick about your website, healthandsafetyworks.net. What can we find there? Well, it tells you everything I'm able to do for you if you want me to. Um, I am doing both occupational and transportation health consulting. Occupational is on the OSHA side. The transportation health is on the FMCSA site. Um, I can do training. I know the National Registry inside and out, so I can train physicians on the National Registry. I can do presentations at conferences and so forth about whatever topic you want. And I can do some research. Um, I can develop health and wellness programs. What I'm trying to do is develop things that the clients come to me and say, this is our business and this is what we want from you, and then I develop it to meet their needs. So I don't have any canned pro products. Um, I plan to kind of develop it as, um, as needed. So. And I'm having fun with it. It, well, it's it's everything you love. So what yep. is that saying, Elaine? Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, it's all it's all your expertise that can be found in one place, healthandsafetyworks.net. So, hey, Elaine, really appreciate it. Great show. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to get together again down the road sometime. Yes, I would love that. And thank you for asking me to be on the show. Oh, always a pleasure. Hey, have a great evening. Really appreciate it. And, uh, hey, we take a quick break. We'll be right back, and we'll wrap up this broadcast of Ask the Trucker Live. Be right back. Heads up. 
truckers? Are you looking for deals on trucks, trailers, parts, or equipment? Or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here, and I want to tell you about TruckerLawyers.com. TruckerLawyers.com helps drivers with their legal needs, and they specialize in workers' compensation, trucking accidents, employment law, and other areas. TruckerLawyers.com arms you with important information regarding workers' compensation and your legal rights, and they are also available to help you find assistance for additional legal issues. This includes determining how to get you the best benefits possible for your situation. The website TruckerLawyers.com is a resource where you can learn more about your legal rights as a driver. Feel free to continue the social media conversation by liking them on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash TruckerLawyers and follow them on Twitter as at TruckerLawyers. Call them to talk through your questions at 1-800-736-5503. Hey, back. Hey, Donna, I guess uh, we we will wrap it up. Uh, You're all set in there, right? Yeah, I'm all set. Um, Just to uh, shout out, well, actually, I do want to uh, announce we have uh, a new partner. We have Monica Jenkins of Truck Driver Law that's come on board with Trucking Social Media and AskTheTrucker.com. So um, we're very proud to have her on board with us. She's an employment lawyer. And uh, her specialty, hold on, I don't want to miss anything. Truckdriverlaw.com, right? Yes, truckdriverlaw.com. She deals with harassment, whistleblower cases, and things like that. I'm, my computer screen isn't coming up with the um, with with everything that she's involved in, but she's definitely an advocate for the professional driver um, and all kinds of employment law, wrongful termination, and things like that. So um, welcome aboard, Monica, if you're listening. Hey, how you doing? And uh, we're thrilled to have you with us. Um, also, if you want information on how you can be a partner, Trucking Social Media, Ask the Trucker, and Ask the Trucker Live, you can just email us at info at truthabouttrucking.com or just go to the trucking social media website and go to the contact form. Um, and the same thing for Ask the Trucker. Just go to the contact form on askthetrucker.com. Also on trucking social media, we have a resource page. It's a free page of resources. Um, we ask if you have a blog, website, or you know of uh, a company, uh, um, I mean a uh, government agency, or a charity that you think should be added there, then just again, just either email us or send us a note on the contact form on the Trucking Social Media website. Uh, There's a lot of great resources on that page, and they're all free. And we welcome uh, anybody who can edify the trucking community with quality information. Another thing about the Trucking Social Media website is the videos. 
Go watch the uh, videos. There are all kinds of categories. We have CDL Life. We have, um, oh, my goodness, there's just, I, I can't, I just went blank. Oh, Industry Tips, uh, great, great videos on there with Industry Tips. But just scroll down, click the video, the, the little drop-down menu will come down, and you can look at the categories and enjoy all the information on the video section. So Trucking Social Media is the hub of quality information and products, and that's truckingsocialmedia.com. And we're thrilled to have uh, everybody on board with us. And we've had a lot of support since the redesign, um, which was about two months ago. We redesigned that website, and it's really taken off. So we're just thrilled to death. And that's, um, I don't, yeah, I I think that's it for now. All right. Hey, great show. Uh, Bob, thanks for the comments. All the listeners online appreciate it. Uh, Special thanks to Elaine Papp. For her expertise, check her website out. A lot of stuff there, healthandsafetyworks.net. And, of course, Dr. Randy Rosarian at usdotmedicalexaminer.com. Appreciate you joining us and sharing a little bit of your Saturday with us. Thanks again, and we will catch you next time on Ask the Trucker Live. You've been listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. On behalf of Alan and Donna Smith, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Ask the Trucker Live. I'm J. Michael Collins. Until next time, drive safe and thanks for listening.
believe We haul that freight on a concrete sea I'm in the trucking family I can handle anything that you throw at me yeah. I'm in the trucking family We haul that freight on a concrete sea I'm in the trucking family I can handle anything that you throw at me What the heck? Speed trap, wrong map. So tired, I need a map. 